Hello and welcome to Amateur Radio Topics. I'm Kevin, BK6 Lima Whiskey, and I see the last episode was back in November, so a few things to cover since then. Uh, first of all, CQ Worldwide, uh, late November 2019. Had some very good conditions, surprising conditions, particularly on the first day. I didn't expect to find 10 metres open, but it was, and uh, started off on 15 and uh, after an hour or so found some openings on 10, mainly um, mainly to JA, some good JA signals coming through, and later on the band did open up uh, towards um, Eastern Europe, and uh, it was really quite surprising. Over the course of the contest, it finished up with a bit over 200 QSOs on 10 metres, which was a surprise given that the flux was only around about 71. I think the A index was fairly low, so the bands were quiet. Um, but some of the signals on 10 metres are very good, particularly, um, particularly on that northern path to JA. Uh, the European signals obviously weren't quite as strong. Uh, some, of the, some of the big stations, uh, they've got some very impressive setups. So you're going to hear them anyway if the band is marginally open. And it's been quite a while since I've uh, really worked anything much on 10 metres contest-wise. Um, so yes, that was a pleasant surprise. Um, over the course of the contest, 15 metres is probably the standout. I had over 1,500 QSOs on 15 metres, which again, didn't really expect. I probably expected the contest to be more focused on 20 metres and 40 metres uh, in terms of activity. But the 15 metre QSO total was very good. It probably impacted a little bit on maybe the 20 metre QSO total. Um, but, um, and 40 was very good as well. Some good runs on 40. Um, 80 metres finished up with uh, over 250 QSO. So 80 metres is very good. Uh, some good conditions there, which you probably would expect at this stage of the Sunspot cycle. So overall, um, it, was a, it was a good event. Uh, here in VK6 at the bottom of the cycle, it's always going to be a little bit tough uh, with all the long haul QSOs. I mean, most of the QSOs are three pointers, obviously, but the, um, the nature of the contest and the fact that most of the activities in the Northern Hemisphere, so either in the USA or, or Europe or, or Russia, means that conditions could be fairly good to make any sort of an impact from VK6. Uh, ZL3CW, Jackie, he did very well. Um, he finished ahead of me and he had a, a, a great uh, QSO total and uh, very good multipliers. He's got a good setup there apparently, a very good uh, location and um, he's a very experienced operator. So, but overall, I would say that uh, yes, given this, the um, conditions, stage of the sunspot cycle, um, it was probably a, a better result than, than expected. Um, really looking forward to when the sunspot cycle starts to uh, kick in again. Uh, it was a lot of fun, um, you know, working stuff on 10 metres again. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good band to, um, to work DX on, and normally the noise levels are fairly low. Um, for the HF bands, I'm still using the spider beam. So the spider beam essentially is three elements on 20, three elements on 15, and then four elements on, on 10. And that spider beam's up at about 23 meters. So it's quite, quite a decent height. A good location here to, to Europe and also to JA. The ground, ground drops away nicely. And uh, the spider beam is one that is a little bit modified from what you would find if you bought a spider beam. Uh, we've just uh, beefed it up a bit. We're using the heavy duty poles with the two millimeter thick wall, which does help. And also 
the spider beam wire that's recommended we don't really use that anymore I, I played around a bit with that in the early days thought well we get the spider beam wire that seems to be the way to go with it but um, in this location here particularly with the bird life and the parrots and everything else picking away insulation on feeders and cables and that sort of thing that particular wire with the um, with the steel core doesn't really help much because the moisture eventually gets in there when the, once the insulation becomes damaged and then you get uh, it discolors the uh, the copper um, the copper coating so yeah probably for me it's a, a two millimeter diameter um, soft drawn or soft enameled wire is is proving to be a better option for most of the antennas none of my antennas are under that much extreme tension that that wire is going to stretch appreciably and so for some time now the spider beam's been been wired up this way all the wire beams use the two millimeter diameter um, enameled copper wire and um, it's fairly easy to handle uh, it's easy to to fix and repair and do whatever you've got to do with it but really over the years i can't even remember an instance where that that wire is actually broken and yes given if there's under enough tension it probably will stretch but most of my antennas i don't wire up that tight I, they're not like guitar strings they're they're normally just got a bit of slack in them it doesn't really make much difference in the overall scheme of things the spider beam i've got it's reinforced with um, extra heavy duty um, uh, polyester type rope um, and that um, that works really well um, so there doesn't need to be that much tension on the actual antenna itself or the cables or the, the wires for the antenna and I no longer use the ferrite type ballon. I did have one of those to start with. I was a little bit concerned about the the um, the performance of that. So I just use an air cord ballon now, a simple air cord ballon, around about six or seven turns of um, RG213, which works well for 2015 and 10. And uh, the feed points, I've played around separating those feed points, switching them with relays, all that sort of thing. I've gone back to a a model where essentially the feed points are all fed together uh, 15 meters is in the middle of the antenna and then you branch out either side with a with a very short run of coax to the other two antennas and that actually works really well um, there's a 1.5 to 1 match or better on all three bands the thing about the spider beam as well is it's, it's even on 20 meters it's quite wide spaced so the tuning of it's not that critical and um, if you get it up at a decent height Pretty good antenna, but particularly on 10, you've got four elements on 10. If you get that working on 10 meters, that's uh, quite a nice antenna and um, fairly easy to, to maintain, really. I don't take these antennas down. They're up, they sit up there on the guide towers through all sorts of weather here in, in WA. And um, whilst we don't, get, we don't get particularly cold weather, but obviously we have a winter and um, we do get quite a lot of high winds, um, particularly up on the hill here. So the towers and the antennas are going to be able to withstand that and that was the main problem in the past I had with quads no matter what I did with the quads beefing them up and making them a little bit more heavy duty the, the quads were always more susceptible to wind damage it seems so I haven't really uh, had a quad antenna up there for quite a few years even though they're a nice antenna uh, I think um, the spider beam is doing the job at the moment on the three HF bands so um, so yeah, and on 40 meters, uh, I had a, a slightly different setup from previous contests. I've now got two two-element beams on 40. One's uh, facing Europe. Uh, that can be switched either way with a, with a switchable stub. And the, um, 
I've got another one which is uh, facing the US and that can also can be switched either way. So essentially it's US short path, long path or Europe short path, long path or and or Caribbean, South America. So the, the 40 meter antenna with this being able to switch from uh, one direction to another instantly is really useful. I have had rotaries up for 40, but uh, they get pretty big. And uh, with the two towers here, I can sort of put the um, each set of uh, two elements on separate towers, keep a little bit of space in between them. And uh, yeah, it's quite uh, works quite well. So really happy with the performance of the antennas in this contest. Um, really happy with the uh, performance of the radio. The IC7610 uh, performed very well. I used it mainly in a sort of SO2V mode. I wasn't really doing SO2R in this contest, mainly because at this stage of the cycle from VK6, it's not that easy to get two decent pileups running on two different bands uh, with, with very good signal strengths. That's the other thing from you know, VK6, a lot of stuff that you end up working is down in the noise, down in the mud. There's lots of uh, stations obviously uh, using um, you know, average antennas and or QRP that we end up working. And uh, it's more important in terms of accuracy to be able to pull those guys through. Uh, I'm, again, I'm looking forward to when the conditions improve because then we have an opportunity to work runs on 20 meters, 15 meters, 10 meters you know, um, at the same time. And that's where the SO2R or the, uh, the two band uh, synchronized interleave QSOs will come into it a little bit more. So we've um, been exploring that option a little bit more and certainly the um, amplifier I've got the expert uh, 2K has got a facility for SO2R. It's a little bit of a strange setup in a way in that, um, well, it's a good. It's good in one ways and bad in others. It's not like having two separate um, amplifiers and two separate, completely separate antenna systems. So the way the SO2R works on the expert amplifier is that um, if you're on radio A and you're transmitting on radio B, you're actually listening on a receive antenna. Uh, which uh, needs to be, you know, technically speaking, as far away from your transmitter's antennas as you can get it, or it needs to be a beverage or whatever. And then when you flip over to Radio B to transmit, it transposes the receive antenna back to Radio A. Uh, this actually does work okay. Uh, there's really not, I haven't really got a huge amount of inter, interstation interference, and I'm not really, I'm not running any filters at this stage because my receive antennas are. Um, probably at least um, they're at least 100 meters away from the, the main um, transmit antenna and obviously there's, I'm listening on a different band anyway so you've got problems with second harmonics or whatever and some bandpass filters would probably help with that but I'm just playing around with this to see exactly what I can do with the native format here with the SO2R facility on the expert and um, yeah so far it's uh, it's pretty good I've got minimal interference between the two radios. Certainly if signals were good, that interference would be negligible. And uh, providing you stay out of the way of the second harmonic, which is always a bit of an issue, then it's really not too much of a problem. Um, I could, you know, I have got some bandpass filters here I can play around with. And also I've messed around a little bit with the, um, uh, with the system of a, a quarter wave coaxial stub uh, for various bands to uh, eliminate that um, second harmonic on the other receiver. So overall, that's uh, probably a little bit of work in progress. Um, it works quite well. There seems to be fairly good isolation between the, the ports on the amplifier in terms of the, um, uh, the, the, the transmit signal. So the other alternative, of course, is to have, as I've done before, have a, a separate radio and separate amplifier feeding 
a separate set of antennas. Um, and that, that does require, that's a little bit more of complexity obviously and it takes a little bit more setting up. The good thing about the SO2R setup with the expert um, amplifier feeding a separate receiver antenna is that when you're transmitting, you're always transmitting on the best antenna. And, and frankly, with a lot of these signals, there's a lot of signals you can hear on a receiver antenna that you, you know that receiver antenna is not gonna be suitable for transmit. So at least if you're always transmitting on the best antenna, it gives you more chance of controlling the frequency, which is another issue here in VK6 when you're trying to work uh, particularly Europeans or you're trying to work um, long-haul DX, con the control of the frequency is probably one of the biggest issues. Certainly always been a big issue here on 80 meters. Um, not so much of an issue now on 40 with the switch beams, can normally pretty well control the frequency on 40. And the beverage antennas I've got help quite a bit on receive. But certainly on 80 meters, um, and you know, to be fair, I've operated from Europe and I know what the, the, the noise levels are like on 80 meters and or 40. Uh, the biggest issue quite often is just making sure that to control the frequency you need a decent signal. You can't control the frequency with a, with a weak signal. You can still work stuff, but you can't control the frequency. And it soon becomes really apparent when you're in the middle of a pileup whether or not you're controlling the frequency. Um, we, obviously we have a situation in CQ Worldwide now and, and other contests where there's a lot of um, RBN activity, reverse beacon network activity. And there's, a, there's guys um, that are obviously operating remotes and there's possibly also um, a degree of maybe robotic calling happening here because you do get some stations that will call and they will call continuously and they won't stop and listen. They will just keep calling and calling and calling. And the slightly strange thing about some of those stations is when you do go back with a call sign, then quite often there's silence and nothing happens. <laughs> it's quite odd. And I've mentioned this to, to other guys that, that, that are involved in contesting and they, they've had the same experience. So um, eventually you maybe end up working those stations, but they, they don't call in a regular pattern. They don't call in a pattern that is consistent with normal contest operating where somebody would call, they send their call sign once, they wait, they listen. Um, these stations call continuously and that can create a bit of a problem um, on the frequency. I've actually found that with some of the bigger pileups on 40, maybe to a lesser extent on 80 meters, even on 20, that I tend to start um, not running split because that's not really viable in a contest, I don't think. Although I know that it does get it does happen. But it's, I tend to listen up on the pile up a little bit. I tend to tune up on the pile up a little bit up in frequency. And the better operators, um, actually it's surprising, the better operators latch onto that quite quickly. And they will call you and sometimes it doesn't need to be a, a, a big, it's not a big um, split I'm talking about here. It's like, you know, 50 hertz or, or 75 hertz above my transmitting frequency. And um, because the, 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 I guess the thing is with the RBN and everything else these days and with CW skimmers, there's a lot of people calling zero beat. There's a lot of people calling right on the frequency. And if everybody calls right on the frequency, then obviously if you have a big enough pile, it's not that easy to separate even with modern receivers, modern filters and everything else that goes with it. So essentially, there's a lot of, I spend a lot of my time tuning above the frequency slightly and to try and separate some of these stations, particularly when they're weak. You know, if you've got a whole bunch of guys and they're all S3, S4, maybe S5, and they're all the same signal strength, they're all weak, and they're all calling on the same, you know, they're all calling zero beat. That's obviously not that easy to separate. It, it, you can do it, um, but it's, um, it's not that straightforward and you, you try not to make mistakes. You don't want to get the call sign wrong. You don't want to get the exchange wrong. You're going to, you're going to lose points if you do that. 
So there's a whole bunch of things that come into that um, that philosophy. And um, the SO2R with the expert amplifier at least ensures that each time you transmit, you're on the best antenna. And you're and if you're you know if on the other radio, then you're on the receive antenna. It doesn't actually matter so much. You're still going to hear the stuff on the other radio. And when you transmit on the other radio, it flicks you back onto the best antenna for that that radio as well, and and toggles the um, the other radio. The, the beverage antennas um, are in the mix on this as well. So I'm also able to listen on a beverage antenna that's separate to any other receive antenna that might be routed through from on the SO2R switch. And that does help as well because on 40 and 80, really the, the beverage antennas make a huge difference uh, to, the, to the noise level. Um, and most of the time on 40 and 80, I'm having to listen through what's happening in, in Asia and um, uh, the, to the north of, 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 of WA, there's a, there's a lot of noise coming in. It's not, it's not that straightforward a path. Um, there's a lot of VKs, particularly the VK2s, VK3s, love working Europe on the long path because they don't have to listen to the short path noise before you even get to um, you know, the UK or, or Western Europe. So the, these are all th things that come into it. And um, certainly um, with contesting, it's... Uh, it's a movable feast. There's always something out there that's, uh, that's interesting to uh, consider or develop. Uh, there's been some amazing scores in this year's CQ Worldwide, uh, mainly by um, guys that have gone to some fairly remote locations. Um, Jose uh, CT1BOH went out to D4C in the Cape Verde Islands, uh, put, in, put in just a fabulous score, uh, running two-band single interleave QSOs, which is which is SO2R, but it's a, a really another level in terms of what a lot of people have been doing in the past. And um, he's a fantastic operator, has been around for quite a while, really knows how to um, make the most of that mode. And it's got a good setup there. Um, I met some of the D4C guys at Frederickshaven uh, early on last year, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty impressive setup. So he put in a, a score that will almost certainly break the single operator, all band, um, unassisted category and CQ worldwide, which given that we are at the bottom of the cycle, <laughs> is quite extraordinary. Um, uh, Dan N6MJ put in a fantastic score from ZF1A, um, again running the same two band single, uh, two band synchronized interleaf QSO mode. Uh, he's a fabulous operator. I believe he had three radios on the go, so it's really single operator, three radio operation, which um, takes a little bit of getting your head around. And um, and Chris KO9A, I think it was a TI7W, he, um, he made over 10,000 QSOs. Um, it's just fantastic. I think he averaged something like 237 QSOs per hour throughout the whole contest. Uh, it's just extraordinary, extraordinary performances that have been put in by guys that are well they're very experienced operators and they're very talented and they've got a degree of stamina that um, maybe eludes the rest of us I'm not sure <laughs> it's because um, that the mode of operating the problem with SO2O and, and, and the interleave QSO method is you need a lot of concentration it takes up a lot more effort and a lot more uh, brain power to get through this and a lot more stamina and but the, to be fair these guys have been practicing this stuff for years and, and this is what they do, and they, they practice um, out of contest. Uh, they practice with, um, you know, as a setup that's not necessarily 
uh, on the air. I've got a setup here with uh, DX Log where I've got a, a laptop and a couple of keyboards, and you can set it up for SO2R or um, two band uh, interleaf QSOs, and it pretty well simulates what's going to happen in the contest. Um, and the interesting thing is when you try it, yeah, you can, you know, for five or 10 minutes, it's, it's, it's pretty good fun. These guys are doing this for hour after hour after hour, 48 hours straight. It's pretty unbelievable, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a fantastic effort that they're putting in and it's really leading the way. So, but as with, with all things in, in contesting, um, largely you're um, almost not necessarily competing against yourself, you're competing against other people, but you're trying to do better than last time, you're trying to get an increase on your score. You know, if you go to single operator two radio, you're trying to get, you know, another five or 10% out of the score. And your location has a big effect on all of this. You can only do the best you can with your antennas, your equipment, your location, your experience. And the fun of it really is in, in, the, in trying to do a little bit better um, and trying to enjoy the contest while the contest was on. It's, contesting is great fun. I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed more than 40 years of contesting and um, it's, but it's got to be fun. If I'm, if I'm doing the contest, it's not fun and I'm really doing something wrong because otherwise, why would I do this to myself? Why would I put myself through this if it's not fun? It's got to be fun. The actual event's got to be fun. Some people may not necessarily agree with that. I mean, for some people, the winning's the only, only, only goal, but in my opinion, um, it has to be fun. Long after the, the contest results have come and gone, you actually, you still remember the contest, you still remember some of the things that went on, and you remember the, you, you know, you remember that you, it was, it was a good time. It was, um, it was a great event. So it's, it's for me, it's more than about just winning. It's, a, I love to improve the station. I'm, I'm pretty competitive, um, but it, when, when the contest is, is, has been and gone, let's move on to the next one. Let's get ready for the next one. Let's, let's see what we can improve. Let's see what we can change. Let's see how much more we can get out of ourselves. You know, we're, we're um, in my particular case. Well, obviously, um, I've been around for a little while, so it's um, sometimes the challenge is trying to maintain performance as you get older, trying to maintain your concentration, uh, trying to get better with it with some experience. Experience helps a lot with certain contests. Uh, there's certain contests that you need more experience in than others because of the nature of the contest. So these are all important uh, important things to consider, but. Um, it's, uh, I'm already looking forward to next year's CQ Worldwide um, to see what I can do here and to see what these, these leading stations can do because uh, really when the conditions start to pick up a bit, the, it's going to be quite extraordinary to see some of the scores that, 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 uh, that, that might, be, might get put in from some of these great locations with these fabulous operators. Um, so yeah, other than CQ Worldwide, I've been messing around a bit with the 160 meters. I quite enjoy low band DXing. It's always been something that I've been keen on from very early days of getting my license and particularly enjoy 160 meters. Um, some of the previous podcasts have indicated that experiments I've been undertaking on 160 with different antennas. Um, the, the sort of staple antenna here over the years has probably been a, a high inverted V, something around about 95 feet or 100 feet to the center, uh, 27 meters or something like that. Um, which seems to be quite popular for this location. Uh, my good friend Steve VK6VZ, he uh, runs an inverted V, high inverted V, as does Phil VK6GX. We've probably over the years all experimented with other versions of vertically polarized antennas here in VK6. And to be fair, maybe with these locations up in the hills and rocky ground, not had a huge amount of success with the vertical 
um, polarization. And some of the things I've done last year, late last year, were, in, were an attempt to really try and analyze that a bit, a bit better. Um, so I was, hence I was using this um, off-center off center fed um, inverted L, if you like, uh, with a switchable stub for, um, to change the polarization from vertical to uh, mainly, or mainly vertical to mainly horizontal. It's not, not completely eliminating one or the other, but an enhancement of either vertical or an enhancement of horizontal polarization for 160 and 80. And it's been really interesting, and it's uh, certainly I've used Easy NEC to uh, plot the files and to have a look at the radiation patterns and whatever. But the most interesting thing really is getting on the bands over a period of time and working, guys, and just trying to work out what exactly what's happening. And there, there's no doubt there's times from VK6 where the vertical polarization does help, and there's no doubt there's times where horizontal seems to be better, and there's no doubt uh, on various times where this inverted V I'm currently using seems to be the most consistent antenna across the board. But there's a whole bunch of factors that come into this, and if you talk to Steve, uh, VK6VZ or, or Phil VK6GX, um, the, there's a number of theories about why this is happening, including you know, ducting, um, ducting characteristics on 160 and uh, the very location that we're in. Um, the one thing I noticed, particularly with my tests on the on the vertically polarized uh, setup, it was it seemed to be very good for um, what I would call medium DXing from VK6. Bear in mind that everything's long haul from VK6. So if I work a JA, it's um, I don't know, it's uh, <laughs> it's a fair way. It's 9,000 kilometers into JA, so it's not round the corner. But I did notice on the, the um, vertical enhancement that anything within VK, so if I work a, you know, if it's a VK2 or VK4, well there, you know, that, that's 4,000 kilometers. Um, and anything in the Pacific, the vertical polarization did seem to help quite a bit. The, the slightly strange thing was that the real long haul um, DX that I was working, the, the mix of horizontal and vertical for me in VK6 seemed to work better. And this might explain why you know, a lot of guys seem to be reverting back to high inverted Vs, because there's an element of vertical polarization and obviously horizontal polarization with, the, with, a, with a reasonably sharp apex angle. So it's been quite interesting. Um, at the moment I'm using the, the inverted V and I'm sort of like comparing the results I've had with the previous two, um, or the previous antenna with the switch polarization, which I could switch instantly in the shack, so it's pretty easy to see which antenna was working uh, better than the other. And certainly that, that antenna with the switch polarization is very good, very good antenna. Worked a lot of DX on it uh, before and after my sunrise, um, before and after other you know, station sunrise as well. Sometimes 30 minutes after sunrise here could still work uh, Europeans on 160 meters. And on the, um, on the, other, on the, on the path to, to Europe, um, on 160 in my evening, so it's be the European sunset. Um, that has also has been open, and I've been working guys uh, that are you know it's maybe 30 minutes before their before their um, sunset in the uh, in Europe. Um, even worked a couple of G's at that time, around about 1500, 1600 Zulu. I don't think I've ever worked G's on that path at that time on 160 meters before. It's it's always I've worked G's at my sunrise. But in this instance, I'm working G's at their sunset. Um, and in some cases, 20 or 30 minutes before their sunset. So this is obviously a, a, some sort of indication of the, where we are in the sunspot cycle. The maximum using, usable frequency is pretty low. And that 
does seem to help on 160 and 80 obviously when you've got low sunspot numbers so it's been quite interesting I'm trying to I'm not necessarily um, doing anything other than getting on the bands and just assessing really how the different antennas have felt I haven't been able to switch between the two modes on the vertical slash horizontal um, situation is very good um, and obviously the inverted V I've got right at the moment I can't switch anything on that it's just what it is and I'm going obviously obviously it's not quite the same time of the season or a little bit further through the season now but it's nevertheless it's quite interesting um, certainly the inverted V at you know 9500 feet or whatever it's a pretty good antenna on 160 from VK6 um, but and as I say the when I was using that vertical mode that was that seemed to be very good um, for maybe up to nine or ten thousand kilometers that that quite often was the was the the best antenna for me um, but anything over that with the really long haul stuff the um, the inverted V seemed to um, seem to be slightly better so yeah I mean I haven't got unlimited space here to experiment with these antennas so and obviously if you put up two or three antennas on for the same frequency there's an opportunity for interaction and for some problems with um, uh, with, with some skewed results so I've got quite a lot of antennas up here at the moment I'm just kind of mindful of the fact that if I put another 160 meter antenna up there's, a, there's an opportunity for some interaction so I've just tried to stick to the one antenna and try to assess that over a period of time on, on that on that band uh, the 80 meter performance of that same antenna the switched polarization antenna was quite similar also I, I would get a definite difference between uh, the um, mainly vertical or mainly horizontal the, the thing with 80 meters was it quite often depended on the conditions so I could work the same station ostensibly on the same path at the same time of day and from one day to the next the antenna um, the favoritism of either, of either vertical or horizontal, horizontal polarization would change from one day to the next <laughs> so that was pretty confusing um, when I ran that antenna in the um, CQ Worldwide I just mainly ran it in the mixed horizontal vertical uh, polarization mode just as a more or less as a traditional inverted L I had it set up for that so I kind of figured out by that stage that during the course of a contest over two days that was probably the best um, probably the best arrangement on 80 meters it's actually got pretty good low angle radiation um, but it does have a, a horizontal uh, a higher horizontal polarization component to it as well so actually overall I'd probably say that antenna is probably better on 80 meters in many respects than it is on 160 um, and that kind of figures it's a half wave on uh, it's a half wave on 160 it's a full wave on 80 so technically speaking when you look at the easy net files um, it sort of um, it exhibits the same sort of characteristic on 80 meters when you're running in the horizontal mode as you know maybe two half waves in phase you're getting a little bit of gain off the sides so um, but yeah so that's the, <laughs> that's the rundown on the antennas a little bit about SO2R I'm still playing around a little bit with receive antennas I need to if I'm going to run this SO2R setup through the linear I actually probably need slightly better receive antennas I've got the beverages which are good for the low bands I probably need something slightly better for the HF bands and then have the ability to switch between different receive antennas that are feeding that um, that SO2R port on the linear that would be pretty cool and I can um, do a bit of assessment on that so we still have a few um, a few months left on the um, you know the the, uh, 
the low band uh, season really, it was certainly the low band season into um, the Northern Hemisphere, which is going to be quite interesting. Um, next contest coming up is the Commonwealth Baru contest, which is always a, a good contest, a very interesting contest. It's uh, limited to stations within the British Commonwealth and that uh, doesn't necessarily, it's not a worldwide contest <laughs> and the QSO totals are uh, not that great. It's a 24 hour contest and um, this stage of the cycle probably expect to make around about uh, maybe 455 of the QSOs, maybe a little bit more, just depends on the conditions. Um, the noise levels during that contest are generally lower, so stations with uh, maybe smaller smaller stations, stations running QRP, stations running smaller antennas, indoor antennas or whatever, you've got more chance of hearing those stations in this contest because it's just the noise levels are not as high as CQ worldwide. It's a contest that requires a bit of experience. It's got a strange, not strange, but it's got a different sort of bonus type system. So every station you work, yeah, every for the first three stations you work in a given call area, you receive bonuses uh, for those stations. And that does tend to, it lends itself quite well to SO2R, but also it tends to um, change the way you run the contest. It's not really a run contest, it's more of a, a run slash search and pounce contest. But one thing I have found with, with um, Commonwealth Contest or Baru is that you need a decent signal, and sometimes it actually really does help to call CQ. Uh, there's a lot of school of thought that you, you spend a lot of time searching pouncing and you do because you need these bonuses but there's a lot of guys that won't won't that you would not work if you didn't call CQ a lot of the weaker stations you've got to attract them to you uh, the hard thing sometimes in in Buru is there's, there's a lot of guys that they're running these fairly small stations in in Europe um, or um, particularly G and uh, they can take a little bit of particularly on the low bands they can take a little bit of um, Getting, uh, dragging out of the noise. It's a serial number based contest, so if you get the serial numbers wrong, or you get the call signs wrong, you're gonna lose points. And uh, that's, uh, so it's a contest that's heavily biased towards accuracy. On the, on the other, other side, the QSO is not that high, so you've got time for repeats and that sort of thing. You, if you're not sure, you, uh, Baru is definitely a contest, you ask for a repeat. It's not worth losing the, um, losing the points in a, in a contest like that for sure, or any contest for that matter. Ask for a, if you're not sure, ask for a repeat. So many people don't, don't ask for repeats and then they're surprised when the contest results come out and they've, they've been uh, pinged uh, totally on the, uh, on, the, on the error rate because the error rate's not just you're getting it wrong, you get, you get penalized number of QSOs, um, which um, will have a dramatic effect on your end score. So um, looking forward to that one. That's the second weekend in March and it's very well supported um, contest in the Commonwealth. Lots of uh, headquarters stations come on and uh, it's a fun contest. It's a good, fun 24 hour contest. Uh, pretty competitive, the, 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 the top uh, ranked stations take it very seriously. I take it very seriously, but again, always like to make sure that I enjoy the contest. That's, the, that's a very important part of uh, contesting, I believe. So that's about the wrap up for the moment. Uh, if you've got any questions, you can send me an email. My uh, email address is on qrz.com, um, vk6lw, um, just search for that, you'll find my email. And, or you can go, you can send me an email direct hamradiotopics at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, uh, 73 is good DX. Enjoy uh, the conditions and I look forward to seeing you in the next contest.